Well, good morning, Foothill Family Church. It is a beautiful day outside. I hope you've had your eyes open long enough to enjoy the day so far. We are glad that you are joining us here this morning, whether you're on YouTube or Facebook. If you are on Facebook, make sure to go ahead and hit that button right below that says share or even start a watch party. We love you guys. We miss you guys. We are so looking forward to being back together soon. Father, we thank you for this time to come together to worship you. We are your chosen people, Father God, and we choose to walk in it and to live above the circumstances in this world by the name of Jesus Christ.
nation, rise up, holy nation. God, we live for you, and you have called us out of darkness into light so glorious. God, we live for you. that I face and stronger than the power of the grave and constant in the trial and the change one thing remains one thing remains Sing out your love. Your love never fails and never gives up, never runs out on me. Your love never fails and never gives up, never runs out on me. Your love never fails and never gives up, never runs out on me. Because on and on and on and on it goes For it overwhelms and satisfies my soul And I never ever have to be afraid Cause one thing Never runs out on me. Your love never fails and 
Bless the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm out of breath because I just ran from the back. I was doing camera thing. So you got to let me catch my breath before we glorify God. Hallelujah. You can keep playing, Ryan. <laughs> Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you that your love never fails. Though the world changes, you remain the same, and your love remains the same. Hallelujah. Lord, even as the children of Israel, when the walls of Jericho were still up, they marched around that city, and they said, praise the Lord, his mercy endures forever. They gave a shout. So, Lord, we give a shout while the walls are still up. We thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus for our victory. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Blessed be the name of Jesus, our victory. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You know, the, a few weeks ago, the Holy Spirit gave me this scripture and reminded me, the things that you're seeing are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And you know, uh, everything, what that means is everything is, is, that is seen is temporal. It's temporary. It's subject to change. So, you know, when one of our leaders says, oh, this is the way it's going to be, or, or a person in your life said, well, I never want Jesus, or whatever any person or circumstance ever says, it is is temporal. And I have had people say to me, oh, we'll never do this. We'll never do that. And within my heart, because I learned, ha, ha, I just laugh within myself and I go, mm -hmm. yeah, you think that's not going to change. You think that's how it's going to always be, but oh no, it's subject to change. Hallelujah. And so we serve an unchanging God. We serve a God who never changes. We serve a mighty God. We serve a God who is bigger than a virus. We serve a God who is bigger than world governments. We serve a God who is bigger than the biggest state of the union, the state of California. We serve a God who is that big. And we just say it's all subject to change. Hallelujah. So Father, we thank you. We thank you for the victory that is ours through our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray even as you told us in your word. We pray for our leaders. We pray for those in authority, Father. We pray, Father, that you would sway their hearts. They don't even have to know their hearts and their minds and their decisions are being swayed, but sway them and move them for the sake of your people and for the sake of the church. Hallelujah. We thank you, Father, that the glory of God rises on the church. We thank you, Father, that the church stands in power, that the church stands in, in its authority, and it stands in doing that who you have made it to be. It rises in glory in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. 
Hallelujah. Victory is ours. Victory is ours. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, you can, uh, you can be seated. Oh, maybe you already are. <laughs> good morning, everybody. God is good. Amen. Aren't you thankful that we can have the peace of God? Aren't you thankful that we can have victory and we have it through our Lord Jesus Christ? Um, I want to just share just a few uh, reports of people that we heard from this week. Um, and I'm sure there are others, and you have some as well. Um, but um, one person that we contacted said that they had a friend who was in the um, intensive care unit. And the wife contacted this uh, man in our church and was in tears because she just is, was very fearful. And, um, you know, she needed help with someone who knew how to pray. And so um, this man shared with her healing scriptures and he prayed with her. He shared with him his experience of how he was healed. Um, not, of, not of COVID, this particular man was in there for that. And um, so he um, prayed with her and shared some scripture with her. And the man was out of ICU, uh, got out last weekend. So that was a good report. Um, another lady shared um, with us that um, she had a uh, was in a store, a particular store, and this uh, small business, the manager said that his business was down 70%. And he was very disheartened, as you can imagine. And she, um, and she was able to share with him and encourage him and prayed for him and prayed for his business. Then um, there was another uh, person who uh, shared that, um, you know, their family, they've been, they were born again a few years ago, and they've been sharing with their family who's not born again. They've been sharing with them about Jesus. And the family just made fun of the person for a while. They, they didn't want to hear anything about this Jesus, but, you know, uh, she continued to pray for her family. And now in recent times, and even in just this last week, apparently some of the family members, they're talking about Jesus all the time. They're praying now. They're more interested in the things of God. And so we have opportunities, and um, we are taking these opportunities and trusting God for these opportunities for the people that we love and the people that we come in contact with. So those are our great reports. Um, we did want to let you know that um, in co uh, contacting our church family and in endeavoring to be in touch with everybody best as we can. Um, we did have three people in our church who, who were diagnosed with COVID. Um, they were younger people. Uh, they had very mild cases. They were still able to continue to work from home. And they were over it with just in a few days, praise the Lord. That's all that we know about, not only in our church, but also um, families of families in our church as well. So, um, uh, uh, that's, that's all that we've had report on for that. We do have uh, the majority of people in our church. They are, thank the Lord, still able to work. But we do have some families who are not working. Uh, nobody in the family is working. And so um, we just uh, thank God right now uh, in the name of Jesus. We just declare over them, Lord, that you uh, provide for them and you lead them and you open up the way for them. Amen, that their needs are met in Jesus' name. So we are um, uh, uh, standing with them in agreement. Amen. Uh, Chip is going to come back now and uh, lead us in another worship song. I praise you, Father God, for you are great, Lord. We know that we can stand and lean into your word and lean into your arms, Father God, that you take care of us, that you provide for us. 
that healing is ours because we are your kids, Father God. We are so grateful. We honor you this morning, Lord, with our praise and with our worship. Wherever we're at, we just join together and sing. You give life. You are love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope. You restore every heart that is broken. And great are you, Lord. You give life. You are love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope. You restore every heart that is broken. And great are you, Lord. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's your So we pour out our praise to you only. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. Great. Let's sing this out together. And all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. 
the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing, we bless your holy name we thank you for your goodness and your mercy we thank you for all that you've done for us we thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us we bless you holy father we magnify you lord jesus we thank you that by the spirit of god and by the word of god we are being conformed more and more into the image of christ live big in us lord Think to our minds and speak to our lips. Hallelujah. We bless you. Holy Father. Amen, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm going to start this morning in Joshua chapter 1 and read some verses of Scripture that I believe are the most important verses in all of the Bible concerning the victory that God wants us to experience and walk in, a guideline, if you will, for our Christian lives. Beginning in verse 1, now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and unto the great sea, going toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Be strong and of good courage, for unto this people 
shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have I not commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Now, folks, I want you to, to realize that although this passage does not contain the word fear, everything God is telling Joshua, everything that he's instructing him to, the ways that he should walk have to do with not being afraid. Where he says, be strong and very courageous. And he says that several times to him. Be strong and of good courage, verse 6. Only be thou strong and very courageous, verse 7. Verse 9, be, thou, be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. Fear is the paralyzer. Fear is the way the devil uses, the tool that the devil uses to stop us from going forward in God. Now, what did God say was the antidote for fear? Well, he speaks of Joshua in order to have victory and success. He speaks of Joshua being strong and meditating in the Word. Now, a lot of people have different ideas about meditating in the Word. Eastern religions talk about meditation as being this thing where you empty your mind and just see what's out there, I guess. But the Bible uh, definition of meditating in the Word is to speak it, to say the Word to yourself over and over and over again. Joshua was commanded that the book of the law, that means that's the Word of God, that's all they had, the first five books of the Bible were written by Moses except for the last eight verses of the book of Deuteronomy which speaks of Moses' death. That was written by Joshua. And this book that contains the story of Israel taking the promised land and Joshua's leadership of them as they go to take the promised land, this was written by Joshua himself. But let me ask you a question. This book of the law or this word of God shall not depart out of thy mouth but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. How is he going to do that? How is Joshua going to meditate in the Word? Is he going to get out his smartphone and pull up his Bible app? They didn't have the Bible, folks. They didn't have any means of going back to the commandments of God they're left to meditate or the instruction that God gives them to meditate has to do with one and only one thing. And we see the answer to this question when we look at the life of Abraham. In Romans chapter 4, it tells us that Abraham was strong in faith. He didn't have a Bible. There was no Bible that existed. He didn't have a, a, a list of even ten commandments to follow. But it said Abraham was strong in faith because he looked unto the promise of God. Looking unto the promise of God, he staggered not through unbelief, but was strong in faith. I wonder if that is how 
God intends for Joshua to be strong. See, Abraham meditated on, and it tells us that he imitated God. He was an imitator of God in a couple of respects. One thing was that he called things that be not as though they were. Another thing was that he spoke life to his body. He was an imitator of God. Just as God quickens the dead, the body receives life through the words that we speak. So Abraham had to speak life to his body. Abraham meditated on one and only one thing. He focused his attention on the promise of a child. He focused his attention and kept his attention focused on the fact that God promised him a son in his old age. When we think about meditating the word, I think the devil tries to make us uh, consider or, or make us think that we have to memorize the Bible. Meditating in the word is not memorizing. Meditating in the word is reminding yourself of the promise of God. And so when the Bible tells us to meditate day and night, it's telling us to keep our eyes on the promise that God has made to us. Now, the promise you need may be different than the promise I need, depending on our circumstances. But whatever the need, the Bible covers the case. And we are instructed. And all through the Bible, we see examples of people, young people, in many cases, that kept their eyes on the promises of God. Let's look at a couple of these situations. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Here's the story of, of David. And there's a lot of detail, a lot of information that we won't cover this morning just for the sake of time. And I, I started a little bit on this, uh, this direction, this subject, last Wednesday night and talked about David's excellent spirit. 1 Samuel chapter 17, well, really verse, uh, chapter 16, tells us about how David was anointed by Samuel to be the next king of Israel. Saul was king, but he had disobeyed God, and so God took the kingdom from him and anointed David when David was about 17 years old. We know that David didn't come into the, the, taking the position of the king until he was about 30. So he spent 13 years in service to the Lord, honoring Saul as the king that God had already replaced. And the Bible tells us some things about David, his courage when he went out against Goliath. But David didn't just develop courage when that situation arose. It tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 16, it gives us some characteristics of David. In verse 18, it tells us about how that Saul was in need of somebody to play musical instruments to relieve him from the depression. The King James says an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Evil spirits aren't from the Lord. But I guess that's what the translators understood or thought they understood about God. But when this evil spirit would influence Saul, he would go into this dark depression. And so somebody suggested, one of his advisors suggested to him that he find somebody that can play a harp or something to soothe him during this dark time of his. And so they're searching for somebody to fill this role and somebody is aware of David. Verse 18, 1 Samuel 16, verse 18, it said, Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, 
I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is cunning in playing, and a mighty valiant man, and a man of war, and prudent in matters, and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. The Bible says God chose David to be king because he was a man after his own heart. Well, this tells us what a man after God's heart is like. Here where it says he was cunning in playing, I'll go through these real quickly. I spent a little bit more time on it uh, Wednesday night than I planned to this morning. But here where it says he was cunning in playing, it simply means that he developed himself. We don't know how gifted he was to begin with, but somehow or another, contrary perhaps to a lot of the ways that shepherds operated in that day and time, Shepherds have a lot of time on their hands when the sheep are grazing in the new field or pasture that, that they had been led to. But instead of David taking a nap or wasting his time on video games or whatever, the Bible says David developed himself. According to Jewish tradition, David invented a lot of musical instruments that are still in use today. He wrote psalms, the majority of which became Israel's songbook which we know of as the book of Psalms. He was motivated by a spirit of excellence. Now, it's, it's an interesting thing to me because I've seen people, I've been in ministry long enough now, to see people that have great gifts that never fulfill their potential. And you'll see other people whose gifts are not as strong, is not as great, or not as pronounced, but because they give themselves to the, the development of what God has given them. They far exceed and far excel the others who are more gifted, naturally perhaps. So David developed himself. This spirit of excellence drove him to make himself to be more of whoever he could be. Now David's a small town shepherd, and there's no way in the world David would ever think prior to the, the time when uh, Samuel came and anointed him to be the next king of Israel. David is not... Developing, developing his musical gifts for the purpose of being king. I'm sure being king was the last thing or the furthest thing from his mind as far as in the realm of possibility. It didn't even register. But he still developed himself. He developed what God had given him. Another thing it says was he was a mighty valiant man. That speaks of his courage. We know what happened with the lion and the bear when they came out against the flock and took a sheep or took a lamb from the flock. David wouldn't let it go. His excellence, the spirit of excellence that was about him made him rescue that lamb from both the lion and the bear at different times. He was a courageous individual. The next thing it says is he was a man of war. This speaks to him being a man of principle. The principle of the thing was what motivated and what drove David to go after that lion and the bear. It would have been real easy for him to say, well, I didn't want to put myself in danger. So he could tell his dad, we're down a little bit with the sheep because wild animals keep taking them, but I know you don't want me to put myself at risk, so I just let them have them. He operated completely opposite to that. It was the principle of the thing for him. Next it says he was prudent in matters. This speaks to discretion and wisdom in business affairs. The next thing it says he was a comely person. Now the Bible gives us a little bit of information about what he looked like. But whatever it was, he made the most of what he had. 
And then finally it said the Lord was with him. Well, we know that from the time that he was anointed to be king of Israel, again at age 17, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and remained there. So then in chapter 17, it tells us about how that David was sent by his father to go bring food and, and supplies to his brothers who were in the army of Israel. And it tells us that they were arrayed in battle against the Philistines. But it tells us also that there was a, a, a giant in the Philistine army named Goliath. We'll start reading in verse 4. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. And he had greaves of irons upon his leg, and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel, and said unto them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am I not a Philistine, and you servants to Saul? Choose you out a man for you, and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then we will be your servants. And if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall you be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Now notice verse 11. It says, When Saul and all Israel heard, these, heard those words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Notice fear had gripped the whole army. Then it tells us about it, uh, David coming down and bringing provisions to his brothers. And it tells us that while he was there, Goliath came out again. Verse 23, and as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines and spoke according to the same words, and David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. Fear has gripped the whole army, including Saul. Nobody's willing to do anything. Everybody's paralyzed by fear. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man that has come up? Everybody's talking about it. They want to make sure David gets the scoop. Surely to defy Israel is he come up, and it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches, and will give him his daughter and make his father's house in, free in Israel. Folks, there's quite a reward available to the person that kills Goliath. But nobody will step up and do anything. Everybody's too afraid. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. David is really saying, why should there be a special reward for killing this guy? He's just an, uh, an enemy of, the, uh, of Israel and therefore an enemy of God. Why is something, offered being, uh, something special being offered to do the job that everybody ought to be willing to do? Verse 28, and Eliab, his oldest brother, remember when David was anointed to be king, Samuel went down to Jesse's house. Jesse was David's father. And the first one that was brought before him was Eliab, and he had such a striking look about him. 
He looked like a, the perfect leader. And so Samuel said to God, this must be him. And God said, no, it's not him. He hadn't developed himself. He may look good from the outside, but he doesn't have the character on the inside to make him a good king. So Eliab, the oldest brother, it says he got mad with David or at, uh, concerning David and said, why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? Now, folks, when you understand how things worked in ancient Israel in the time of David and, and um, these others that are mentioned, Eliab, which is the oldest brother, depending on when Jesse had flocks, being shepherd would pass down from son to son to son. It was not a well-respected job, and that's what Eliab is doing. He's trying to, to bring reproach against David because all he is is a shepherd and he doesn't even have a big flock that he looks after. But it could very well be that Eliab was the first shepherd for his father. And then the other brothers that passed down as they got old enough to take care of things, finally it lands on David and he's the, the youngest one. So he becomes the chief shepherd for his father's flocks. So why is Eliab trying to ridicule him or humiliate him for the things that he's doing and the things that he's saying. David is looking at this situation as, why is everybody afraid? Maybe he thinks that everybody has developed themselves and had encounters with God and found God's provision and God's protection just like he had. I know that, that I sometimes make a mistake in thinking that people see and think about things the same way that I do because I'm operating according to the word and I just assume everybody that has any knowledge of the word wants to operate with it too. But that's not always the case. So David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? And he turned from him to another. He didn't let his brothers ridiculing or his attempt at humiliating him affect him in any way whatsoever. He turned from him toward another and spake after the same and the people answered him again after the former manner. And when the words which David spoke were told to Saul, Saul found out about it, Saul heard it, Saul sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Now, the king already knows who David is because David's the one that was brought in to play and relieve him from the depression that would come on him because the Spirit of God had departed from him. So Saul knew who the guy was. And he had spent time, and actually the, the story tells us that Saul loved David, and he made a special request of his father, of Jesse, that David would be able to stay there and, and live in the palace with him. So Saul knows him. He knows the hand of God is on him, is on David, I mean. He knows the Spirit of the Lord, the experience that he's had where the Spirit of the Lord was on and, and remained on David. So, but, so David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're but a youth, and he's a man of war from his youth. In other words, he's been fighting longer than you've been alive. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. 
And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Then David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. Now let me ask you a question. Did Saul know about these situations, these experiences that David had had? David had been living with Saul for some period of time. We don't know exactly how long. But it indicates that it wouldn't be just for a night or two. So did Saul not know David well enough to know these things about him? It seems to, the scripture seems to indicate that, that Saul knew nothing about this. That David surprised him perhaps when he told him about his encounter with the lion and the bear and God's deliverance. So Saul tried to put armor on him. Apparently David is so convincing that Saul is willing to risk his whole army on David's success. Remember the challenge of Goliath. Goliath said, if your guy beats me, we'll become your servants. But if, you're, if I beat your guy, then you'll become our servants. So Saul rolls the dice, so to speak, completely on David. Everything as far as Israel's success and victory depends on David. David must have been pretty persuasive for Saul to put that kind of risk, enter into that kind of risk. But Saul armed David with his armor and he put a helmet of brass upon his head and also he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor and he essayed to go. The word essayed means he made an attempt to move around in it for he had not proved it. And David said to Saul, I can't go with these for I have not proved them. And David put them off of him. And he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag which he had, even in a scrip. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about he saw, and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine. This is where things get good, folks. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come unto thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand. And I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and unto the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in, in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his sling and, and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword, Goliath's sword, and drew it out of the sheaf thereof 
and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And it tells us about the army of Israel routing them. They followed and chased them down and defeated them in great measure. It was an utter and total victory for not only David, but for the armies of Israel. Now, folks, here's the question. I know that there were a lot of things about this story that are unique and specific to the fact that David was anointed to be king. But David's not the only one that could have killed Goliath. The promise of God and the promise of victory wasn't just for David because he was selected to be the next king. It was for anybody and everybody that was willing to do what David did and meditate in the word, keep his eyes on the promises and the goodness of God so that it became a part of him to such a degree that he knew that God would help him in any battle that he waged. He knew that God was on his side and would deliver him just like he delivered him from the lion and the bear. David's not the only one that could have defeated Goliath. But all the other ones, Saul included, that could have defeated Goliath were paralyzed by their fear. Folks, fear is the, is the greatest killer there is because fear can stop you if you yield to it and yield to the devil's influence. Fear can stop you from the victory that Jesus has already purchased for us. Now I want you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3 tells us about when Israel was taken into captivity, captivity by Babylon. It tells us in, uh, in, we won't read it, but in the first chapter, it tells us about how Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, four Hebrew children, asked not to be fed the things that were being delivered to them from the king's table. It violated the law of Moses. They were eating things that were unclean. And so they made a decision just as young boys, maybe early teenagers. They made a decision that it was more important to them to follow and obey the laws of God concerning, concerning dietary and, and clean animals and stuff. It was more important for them to obey the law of Moses in that respect than to have the, the other food that was being presented to them. And so they finally talked to the, the uh, headmaster of the school that they were in as a part of Pilate's, uh, as part of uh, Nebuchadnezzar's um, captured children program. <laughs> it tells us that they asked for pulse. Now, I'm not sure what pulse in water is, but I would imagine it's something like oatmeal or cream of wheat or some, something like that, something that doesn't have much flavor to it whatsoever. Now, folks, the supernatural part here is they're saying no to bacon. But they chose to do what God's word instructed them to do. Thank God we have a better covenant established on better promises. Bacon is good for us. <clears throat> but they put the word first in that respect. The headmaster of the school was afraid that they'd look weak and sickly by just eating that diet of pulse and water. But after 14 days, he and everybody else saw that they were fairer, fatter and healthier looking than anybody else in the program. And so from that, that point on, the headmaster allowed them to eat whatever they wanted to eat in keeping the law of Moses. Now, here's a small, small thing, uh, certainly a thing that they could have got by with doing things as they had been, as they started off going. 
but they chose to put the Word of God first. And anytime you put the Word of God first in your life, there's always a payoff. There's always a payoff. Well, the payoff here for three of these guys comes some years later when Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, makes a gold statue of himself. And he instructed everybody, he made a decree that when the, uh, the sound of the music played in the morning and the afternoon, morning and evening, everybody was supposed to fall down and worship his image that was this golden statue. And it's the decree, part of the decree was if anybody fails to do so, they'll be cast into the midst of the furnace. And then word came from people that were against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that they were not worshiping the golden image which Nebuchadnezzar set up. Start in verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Then Nebuchadnezzar spoke and said unto them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do you not serve my gods or worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if you be ready that at what time you hear the sound of the, the music that plays, you fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if you worship not, you shall be cast into the same hour into the burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hand? To recap what's going on, Nebuchadnezzar says, I've been told that you won't worship the image that I've had made of myself. Well, I'll let you have a pass up to this point, but if you don't fall down and worship when the next time comes around and the music announces that that time has come, then I'm going to cast you in the burning fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. In other words, they're saying we don't have to think about what we're going to do. They've already made their decision regarding the worship of this image. They decided that they would not bow their knee to any image or any God except the God of Israel. So they said, we're not careful to answer you in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods or worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Now, folks, in, in Sunday school, growing up in, in the Baptist church, I heard this taught many, many times, and it was always taught the same way. And the, the, the way that the Sunday school quarterly always told the story or always instructed the teachers to teach the story was that they said, if you throw us into the fiery furnace, we believe God will deliver us, but if he doesn't, we're still not going to worship your image. Well, folks, that's kind of dumb. That can't be what it's saying, because if... God doesn't deliver them from the fiery furnace. They're going to be dead, and worshiping the image is going to be a, a non-issue. The if that they are speaking of concerns what Nebuchadnezzar chooses to do. Nebuchadnezzar said if you fall down and worship the image when the music plays, he said everything will be all right. But if you don't, then I'll throw you into the fiery furnace. So the if that they're concerned with is not what God does. The if that they're concerned with, the if that they speak to, is if the king throws them in. It's his choice whether to throw them in or not. They're just saying, we're not going to worship your image either way. But if you do throw us in, God will deliver us. Now, here's how we know that to be true. Notice it says in verse 19, Then Neb was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spoke and commanded that they should heat the furnace 
one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded his most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, and their hats, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Now here's the point. When they say, if you throw us in, God will deliver us. But if you don't throw us in, we're still not going to worship the image. If that was something, if they were saying, well, we think God will deliver us, but we're not sure, then Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't have been mad at them. He wouldn't have been filled with fury. He would have just said, oh, well, if it comes down to that, let's see what happens. But when they defy him, when they say, we're not going to worship your image, and if you do throw us into the fire, God will deliver us. That's what makes him mad. That's what causes him to enter into this rage. That's what brings him to the point where everything about his countenance changed. And he commanded the fires to be heated up seven times hotter than normal. They bound them and threw them in the, the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Verse 22, therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the fire was exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It killed the ones that threw them in. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning of the fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they said unto the king, Yeah, that's right, only three. Then he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose and walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the forest is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth to the midst of the fire, and the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors, being gathered together, saw these men, upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was a hair of their head singed. Neither was their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed upon them. Then Nebuchadnezzar spoke and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him, and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies, that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Here's three, three kids, the three with the burning fire furnace. The same thing is true for Daniel later on when he's cast into the lion's den. Because they put the things of God first. God honored them. God delivered them. And not only did he deliver them from the situations they were in, he delivered them first and foremost from the fear of what might happen. Folks, you just can't overemphasize the importance of putting the word of God first place in your life. It makes a difference in every respect. Now, turn with me to Isaiah 41. Here's a verse of scripture we've been spending a lot of time on for the last several weeks. God speaking to his people said, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. 
Folks, we live in such a blessed time. We live in a time of technology that enables us to be able not only to have the word with us wherever we go, whether it's on our smartphone or tablets or whatever, but we can search through the word to find any, any word that we want to with just the slightest effort. We have uh, the capability to find and locate the promises of God and to speak, against, speak toward those promises, speak to those promises, to focus our attention, to speak them, to say what God has promised to do for us, to get the word of God down on the inside of us, to be like Abraham who looked under the promise of God and even though he had no natural hope, there was no physical circumstance that suggested that God's promise was real or could be real, he kept his eyes on the promise of God, called things that be not as though they were and received a miracle. That's the same thing that happened, that happened with David. David developed himself. He developed himself in the word over and over and over again in the Psalms. Does it say something like, I will meditate in your word all day long? My eyes never leave your precepts and your commandments. He's putting the word of God first place in his life. And folks, the word is the power of God that brings victory. The word is the power of God that brings success. The word is the means of God's deliverance and rescue and healing. It's all in the word. I think I said the other night, uh, I think it was Wednesday night when I was talking about some of these things. I can't imagine, it just boggles my mind why people will not after finding the truth of the word after seeing the reality of Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 and the importance of speaking the word in their lives to bring them victory and success I don't understand why people don't do it I can't for the life of me understand why people won't accept the word of God at face value and begin speaking it begin speaking the promises of God to see a change in their life to be to see a change in their circumstances to be delivered from the problems that they may be bound with. I, I don't get it. Why in the world, when we see, and the Bible could not be more clear, that the key to victory in the Christian life is to speak God's word, focus on his promises, focus on that which he said he would do for us, and keep our mouth in line with what the Bible says, and to keep our, our, our thoughts focused on what he promised it'll bring us victory every time it'll bring us into a place where we'll experience supernatural things just like these three Hebrew children did in the midst of burning fiery furnace it'll bring us into experiences where we'll defeat the giants the Goliaths in our life just like David did it's not that these people uh, in and of themselves were special it's that the word made them special the word made them recipients of the deliverance and the goodness and the mercy of God, the rescue of God, time after time after time. Each one of these people conquered fear before they ever conquered their circumstance. They conquered fear before anybody else knew what was going on. And because they had conquered fear, they were able to speak God's word boldly. They were able to declare what God will do what he would do for them and, and it worked out just exactly the way they said what they said came to pass because they were speaking the truth of God's word folks we have nothing to fear this coronavirus thing if you go back and look a couple of months ago at the projections and the things that people were saying the Center for Disease CDC whatever that stands for Centers for Disease Control I guess 
their initial projections were that two-thirds of the American population would contract this coronavirus. 2.7 million people would die from it. There would be 21, I think it's 21 million people that would be hospitalized, and there are less than 1,000 hospital beds in the country. And it was all this fear, it was all this hype about what was going to happen. Well, none of it has happened the way that they said. None of it has happened the way that they predicted. And folks, this is the way the devil's program works. He makes big threats. He makes claims of things that are so terrible, the end of the world, so terrible, that it takes finding somebody that's strong not to be taken away with it. And none of those projections have taken place like they thought. We've shut down the country for something that's very little more than a, a, a mild strain of the flu or a flu-like virus. And the reason that that was able to be done was because of fear. They incited fear. They incited panic. And we became, we, the country, in our day, became very similar to the children of Israel in Numbers chapter 13 when they believed the ten spies. Just a small number of people reporting but they believed the ten spies and were robbed of the promised land. Don't yield to fear. Don't yield to fear. Don't let fear paralyze you. Don't let fear stop you from speaking the word of God. Again, God said to his people, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. If God is with us, what do we care about? Anything that comes against us. If God's on our side, then what does it matter what the devil does? If God is with us, and his power is unlimited, and his victory is absolute, thank God it is, then what do we care what somebody else says? What do we care what somebody else does? He says, be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen you. When you don't feel like you have any strength, when you feel weak, God will strengthen you. When you need help, God said he'll help you. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Folks, fear has no power over us when we speak God's word. So whatever you do, whatever situation you're in, whatever you're encountering, whatever you're experiencing, keep speaking God's word. Be like Abraham and look under the promise of God and call things that be not as though they are. And God will see us through every time. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you that your word is true. Thank you that your promises are sure. You're faithful to watch over your word to perform it in our lives. And so, Father, we claim and declare healing for every member of, the, of this church. We pray, Father, that you would rescue them and deliver them from every situation, every work of the enemy against them. We thank you, Father, for, for providing financially for all the people of our church. We thank you, Father, for showing yourself strong as we speak your word. Father, we thank you that all these things have been accomplished by the shedding of Jesus' blood. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Thank you, Father, for righteousness. Thank you for abundance. And thank you, Father, for divine health. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you, folks. Have a great day.
Hope you can tune in with us tonight for Healing School at 6.